about Rabbi Bamberger. That's, that is the kind of thing that a good, good, good mashkiach will do. It's not so strange. I mean, it sounds very strange, but because we never had this problem, but I'm telling you, this is not as so uncommon that, that the mashkiach has had to put himself on the line. Sometimes physically, and sometimes with panasa wise, he knows he might get fired. He knows he might, uh, he, he, he might, you know, he may not be able to support his family. He knows he's in trouble. Okay. Next, a story. Uh, strawberries. Now we have many cashless agencies putting out kosher. Uh, products, you know, these fruits, the vegetables, they, 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 they wash them specially, they grow them specially, they wash them specially, they check them, whatever they claim, and you'll see this symbol on the packaging. So here's a story that you, don't, you never saw, you didn't see it, you don't know about it. I did not know about it until I found out, and probably it didn't affect you, I'm so, I hope so one of these com- companies came out with strawberries just around the time of Shavuos. And they put them, the strawberries out. It's a big company. They put out the strawberries. And hashkakas, uh, beautiful hashkakas. But there were bugs inside. And they had to pull the product. And, and people asked them, well, why did you put this out? I mean, didn't you know? And they said a little bit, we, 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 we saw issues, but we thought there's a, it's very hard to get these kind of products, the strawberries, the blueberries, you know, this, the items where, where people know it's almost impossible to check. If you, if you look at the writings, not just of the Jewish people, the secular world, You'll see that these ins- there are insects all over these veg- these fruits. I, I saw a, a number of uh, uh, videos that the, that the Goyim have about how how infested strawberries are. So if you take one of these things and then you say, well, we're going to make it kosher. Yeah, okay, you could work on it and you and you might be successful, but a lot of times you're not going to be successful. And the question is, what happens to that product when they're down to the wire. How much leeway do they have to let it through? How much? How strict do they want to be? What will they do with it if they don't put it out? Will they crush it up and use it in some other way? It's a very big challenge. And therefore, if you don't usually see a certain product, let's say raspberries, you don't see raspberries. You don't see them frozen and fresh in a, with, a, with a hashkoch on it. You won't see it anymore. Well, let's say you would. You'd see the blood, the raspberries, and somebody takes a shot at it with a frozen raspberry or something, whatever they do. And then, so, so now what are you going to do? So you're going to say, well, it has Ashgacha. Okay. But let, let's understand. They're, te- they're playing a, a, a chat that's being, they're accepting a challenge, trying to put a product that's very difficult to get 100% clean. They're trying to get it through the system and, and, and satisfy you. And it's a challenge. I, get, I suggest to people that when it comes to the strawberries and the blueberries and uh, you buy frozen with a hashgacha, 
I'm not going to ask you which hashgacha, and then you and then you uh, crush them up in a, in a blender. And this way, you have the tam, you have the taste. It's the actual berry. It's not some just fake thing. It's the real berry, and you're relying on those conscious agencies that there's probably nothing here, and if not, then the, the crushing should take care of it. Can you take regular strawberries and regular blueberries and do it? I had called today. Somebody called me four times about this today. I mean, obviously, I really wanted to have this. I told them you cannot use fresh product and stick it in a blender in order to crush it up, in order to uh, to avoid the shiloh of, of eating a, a bug. Because if there's if it's something like a strawberry or a blueberry, which is very heavily infested, and by the way, you should if you want to have some interesting time, go to some of the websites of the conscious agencies, the CRC in Chicago, Star K. Go check out strawberries and blueberries and see what they're talking about at this time of the year. See how how they upped the responsibility of the kosher, the kosher consumer to uh, protect himself in these particular products. So they may permit it with certain preparation, but it gets harder and harder. It's not a simple, not a simple matter. Okay. Also, I want to let you know that some people, and this is important if you should ask your own rough, I just said to you, whether you caught it or not, I'm going to say it again. We hold the that you can't take a product that has insects in it and throw it into something to grind it up or to cook it up and say that it'll get crushed. So that, that's the halacha. The question is, what does it mean have insects in it? Well, no, of course, nobody examined the strawberry to see if there's any bugs in it. You see bugs crawling on it, you can't just throw it in the water. That, that everybody understands. But we, when you talk about strawberries or blueberries, what level of infestation is it? So if it's a serious level of infestation, a serious level of infestation, then the assumption is it has bugs. But if it's not a serious level, then the assumption is it, it, it may not have a bug. And if it may not have a bug, that's a suffix. And cooking it or crushing it is another suffix, whether it survives that, whether it's intact afterwards. And so that's called a sveik sveik, and you can rely on that. The question comes up how free we are to throw it into the blender with a cook and to say, there's probably not anything here. So I see that some of the conscious agencies are very liberal about that, where others are much stricter. This is a, a matter you would, might want to discuss with your own love. What level of infestation is needed to, I mean, again, not, not that level. In other words, how far, when can we cook something up? When can we blend something? It's worth everybody speaking to their other about it because there, it seems to be that there's a, a little bit of a split here. And when I went to one conscious agency, this week, actually, I went to this one conscious agency, and I told them that the, mis- the information you put on your website is misleading, and that it, uh, the assumption is that the, this is not a problem. And they answered me, well, we hold that you can go ahead and, and crush everything up anyway. So I said, wow, this is, 
this is not the way it says in my Shulchan Aruch, the way I learned it from my Rebbe. And I, I you know, obviously they have a Paisik, and that Paisik is a very liberal approach towards this, about the Mavatal Iser Lechachila. It's, it's something you want, might want to discuss more with your own Rav. Again, the question is, what level of uh, infestation are you still allowed to crush it up or cook it? and rely on fake sake, that it was maybe not there, and if it was there, it got crushed. When are you allowed to do that? That's the question you want to discuss with your roof. Now, I saw something I want to share with everybody, because uh, somebody I'm close with told me it's a mitzvah, Lafar same, it's a mitzvah to let people know about it. It has nothing to do with kashras, but it has something to do with me, but it has, it has to do with everybody. And if you have a chance, and I don't know if you do anything any, you see any things that are recorded videos online? If you don't do that, then don't listen to me. But if you do it, so here's the place to go. It's worth it, and you're gonna you're gonna tell me afterwards. If you're gonna you're gonna locate me, you're gonna tell me that it was unbelievable because it is unbelievable. When I saw this, I just was amazed because I had a personal interest because one of the videos about somebody that I knew very well, that I know very well. And I, I just couldn't, I couldn't imagine. And, then, and one of the stories that I heard, this was interesting, one of the stories I've heard from peop, certain people over and over again, the person himself told the story on this, on this video. And it was completely different from the versions that I'd heard. And it's the person himself that happened to. So it was, that was amazing. In any event, if you scribble this down, if you can get to it, it's very easy. It's Hashkifa. H A S H K I F A Hashkifa H A S H K I F A dot com Hashkifa H A S H K I F A dot com and it's put out by a gentleman by the name of Rabbi Yoel Gold and uh, it's pure gold. If you get a chance to see these, you will never, ever, ever forget them. The most recent one is about a pair of film that was found. Very interesting story. My story that I was interested specifically was about a gentleman by the name of Mr. Applebaum, who I was, had the chust of, of teaching two mesechtas to, and he became very big in, in, in learning. And he's, uh, he's on this video, and he talks about the Mashiach. He's an older man, and he's talking about the Mashiach, and a certain aspect with the non-Jews, it's really worth hearing that one line, the very last line of the show. <laughs> the whole, by the way, these videos last five minutes. So I said more time already telling you about them than it takes to hear. He has about maybe ten of them. It's worth seeing each one. Uh, next thing, water. Okay, so I didn't see this until this afternoon, maybe five o'clock. Uh, I don't know the exact time, but I just saw it today, about 5 o'clock. It's one year old, but listen to it. Unbelievable. I'm going to read to you. Uh, if you're in New York, you really want to hear this. And if you're not in New York, you want to you hear it too, because you're not in New York. This is from Hunter College, New York City Food Policy Center. Hunter College, New York City Food Policy Center 
It was from 1-7-19, January 7, 2019. Ten facts you may not know about New York City's... I gave you was uh, Rabbi Yoel Gold's uh, program Hashkifa.com, H-A-S-H-K-I-F-A.com. And then I wanted to tell you uh, about this, this uh, 10 points from something called Hunter College New York City Food Policy Center. Again, Hunter College New York City Food Policy Center. This is from... January 7th, 2019, 10 facts you may not know about New York City's drinking water. And the fourth one is the real big one. Number one, we're not on now? No. Uh, what? Uh, yeah, uh, he said, uh, my wife said we're not on. Yeah, right now this okay. is Okay, it will take Okay, uh, uh, New York City's water is unfiltered, making it the largest unfiltered water system in the country. Number two, when, where, where New York to begin filtering its water, it would cost the city approximately $1 million each day to operate the fil- filtration plant. In other words, if, the, if New York City decides to go, if New York City decides to go filtered, it's going to cost them about $365 million a year to filter the water. Why? I don't know, but that's what it seems to be. So, um, you know, that's the reason why you're not doing the filtering. They don't have the money for it. Now, here is extremely important because what I'm telling you now, I did not know until today. As I said, I got this information from this Hunter College thing. I just saw it at about 5 o'clock today, so less than a, a little more than an hour ago. Listen to this one. The New York City watershed doesn't just supply water to people in the five boroughs. It also supplies water to residents in Westchester, Orange, Ulster, and Putnam counties. So when we talked about, and when we talk about New York City water problem with the copepods, we have to include... Westchester, Orange, Ulster, and Putnam counties means north of New York City. So uh, people should have that in mind. Rather than saying, I don't live in New York City, I live in Westchester. Mount Vernon, Yonkers, 
uh, wherever wherever you are, in the Michelle, wherever you are. But it's all part of the New York City watershed program, which has got the same exact problem. Now, I don't know if everybody knows that. I did not know it until an hour ago. And I believe Nether, I'm going to check this out with the the uh, with the organization that checks uh, uh, talks about our water problems, uh, Rabbi Yaki, Yaakov Lach. So I'm going to try believe Nether to check that out with him. Now we come to the main one, and I think that's really important for you to pay attention to this. New York City's are now quoting again. Not from 10 years ago when we started this thing with the problem with the coke pods in the water. About 10 years ago, we came up with this problem with coke pods in the water in New York City, and all the conscious agencies took it on then. Whether they're doing it now or not, I don't know. They have to have a filter, and people who live in, in, the, in, the, in the five boroughs should have filters. And I'm going to add on today, they should find out if they live in Westchester, Orange, Ulster, and Putnam counties as well, whether their water is affected. Listen to this one little piece. It's worth your coming today to hear this. New York City's water contains tiny shrimp called copepods. A copepod is a shrimp. These microscopic crustaceans are not actually harmful at all. He uses the word microscopic. It's not microscopic. I saw them. I see, you can see them with a the naked eye. They're not that tiny at all. They're 100%, you don't need anything to see them. You do, it, it has a nice size to it. So the way they call microscopic, I suppose there are some that are smaller. But anyway, these microscopic crustaceans are not actually harmful at all and are instead used, hear this, unbelievable, what I'm going to say now you, you can imagine. They used to clear the water of mosquito larvae. They want the copepods in the water because they take out the mosquitoes. You hear this? I, never, I didn't, wasn't aware of this at all. I thought it was just a, you know, some kind of thing they couldn't get rid of. They want it there. Now listen to the next part. This is great. Although they may lead to cleaner and even better tasting water, the presence of copepods means that New York City's drinking water is technically not kosher, a fact which has caused some conflict with the Orthodox Jewish community in the city. Who's saying this? Not Rabbi Wickler. Hunter College, New York City Food Policy Center says that the water in New York City is technically not kosher. It has shrimp in it called copepods. And they want the shrimp there because they take care of the mosquito larvae. Okay, so there is a very strong statement. I never heard that one before. Now, the next part, you're not going to like it all. It's number nine and number ten here of the ten points. New York City's water is treated with chlorine, fluoride, orthophosphate, sodium hydroxide, and ultraviolet light, which makes it safe to drink. I don't know what it, it's really, if it makes it safe to drink. Uh, you know, the fluoride, I don't know, maybe, okay, chlorine, you know when I know you can't eat chlorine, well, I, I suppose very, very small amount. 
I don't know what orthophosphate is and sodium hydroxide. It sounds like a thumb cleaner. And ultraviolet light. This is making it safe to drink. Okay, now, the last is the number 10. I saved the last. Listen to this. According to data from 2009, the quality of New York City's water is outranked by Boston, St. Louis, Austin, and 12 other cities. The city's water is still safe, to be sure, but its reputation as the best tap water in the world might be exaggerating the truth just a bit. Who is saying this? Again, Hunter College, New York City Food Policy Center, from January 2019, 10 facts you may not know about New York City's drinking water, especially that number five, the presence of copods means that the New York City's drinking water is technically not kosher. Wow. Didn't expect to see that. Now I'm going to share with you something that, you know, it, it, maybe it doesn't have to do with anything that we talked about in terms of cashless, but it does have a lot to do about what we talked about in the very beginning about Koirach separating. This is a true story. It's, it made it a little bit, maybe you heard about it, maybe you didn't, but I, I, I was thunderstruck by it because the way it was told over anyway, it was very powerful. It seems that there's a little letter from B'nai Brock to a singer, a, a pop star, a pop singer, in Tel Aviv, from B'nai Brak to Tel Aviv. But it started in Tel Aviv to B'nai Brak. My article, Secular and Haredi Bridging the Gap. The little letter that I quote here is, help in, is helping to bridge the gap between secular and Haredi in, in Eretz Israel. Tel Aviv pop star Aviv Geffen, an Israeli secularist, during a live performance in May, decided to dedicate a song to the residents of B'nai Brak because he felt they were being maligned by everybody. Everyone saying that the people in B'nai Brak, they don't care, they don't know, they don't care about anything, and they're all getting sick and dying from coronavirus, and they're bringing it upon us. And that's what the people were saying. And here's a Tel Aviv rock star, pop star, Aviv Geffen, in May, decided to dedicate a song to the residents of B'nai Brak. For months, the secular press in Israel had severely criticized the residents of B'nai Brak, blaming them for not adhering to the government's lockdown regulations at the start of COVID-19. Blame was heaped on them again and again. Aviv Geffen decided to speak up in defense of the citizens of B'nai Brak, and so he said he dedicated a song to them. Here's one little line, one little line from that song. They chose God, and I chose Mark Zuckerberg. Uh, B'nai Brak chose Hashem, and he chose 
the Internet, the cell phones. That was the song. That was what his song was singing about, about the difference between the Haredim and B'nai Barak and the Tel Aviv lifestyle. And he went on to say that the Haredi cannot be blamed for living a different kind of life. That was what he said. He said, in light of what's happening, it's important for me to say, I love B'nai Brak. This is a secular Jew, a pop star. I love B'nai Brak. It's like a different era there, cut off from the secular world. When Geffen completed the performance in May, he found 420 messages from B'nai Brak residents thanking him for his support. How do they know what he did? I don't know. That's not, that's not the question for today. Don't ask me that question. I'm not going to go there. Just listen to the point. The point is 420 people in the span of minutes, or kind of much more than minutes, got messages to him, thanking him for what he'd said publicly. And the whole country heard he was so moved that he cried as he read them, and he stayed up the entire night to read each and every message, 420 messages. The staff of the emergency command room in B'nai Brak municipality has just sent a le- this, this letter, which I printed the letter, of appreciation to Mr. Geffen for speaking up in defense of the city regarding its high rate of virus infections during the height of the coronavirus pandemic. When interviewed on Channel 12 News, Geffen began crying when he spoke about the messages he had received. Here's what the letter says. And I see that I don't have all the words here. <laughs> I, I didn't put the, I didn't pull it out. It says, to the honored artist, Mr. Aviv Geffen, we want to express our appreciation for your work in Kirov Lvovos, uniting our people, and your respect for the city of B'nai Brak and its residents. The coronavirus period was charged and complex for all Israel and for our city in particular. Now, I'm going to read to you in the rest in Hebrew. I, don't, I forgot where I put the translation right now. So, We'll try it ourselves. Your leadership and your words, they were like cool water on a tired soul. And they reached to the highest level of humanity. The uniting factor, uniting us. The, the honorable or the one who honors. And the one who shares. In the continuation of us as a people. Bishamanu, Bishamenu, Ubishem Ha'ir Kula Toda. 
And then our name, because these are the leaders of the city, B'nai Brak, and the leaders and the, and the, all the people of all the member, all the citizens of B'nai Brak, thank you. Baharacha Ubiut. They wish him well, health. This is what happening in Israel. If one person wants to make that bridge, if one person, a secular person, wants to make that bridge, or we could say the other way, if one Haredi wants to make that bridge, look how beautiful and how different Israel could look. This is what we should have gotten out of coronavirus. Not a machor, a protest, not in your face, but in your heart, and from my heart to your heart. Why isn't, are we making bridges instead of blowing them up? That's the question that we all have to take away. That's the takeaway from this particular uh, letter from uh, the people in B'nai Brak to the secular pop star, Aviv Geffen, who said, they chose God, and I chose Mark Zuckerberg. That gives us a little bit of a flavor. I have more things here? Yeah. Okay. We went through, yeah, we went through them all. Uh, Let me just share with you, we have five minutes. I'm going to share with you a piece from Rabbi Avigda Miller, which was supposed to be for last week. How do we understand, Astrid Miller, that the Doha Midbar witnessed so many miracles in Mitzrayim and the Midbar, and they still tested Hashem? They, they said they, they tested Him ten times. So he said, how can we understand that you are people standing on the edge of a roof and you tell them, jump off the roof and Hashem will protect you. And they ignore you. Let's say you're a Navi and you tell them, that I, that, Hashem. This is what Hashem said. Jump off the roof. I suppose some don't want to jump. We just, what would you say about them? They don't believe in Hashem. They came to, they came there to Israel, and they see people living in fortified cities, and some of them, and, they, they, and, they, and it's like for them, they felt it's like jumping off a roof. It was like certain death. Of course, Sadiqim will say, "No, we trust in Hashem, and we would go for it. Anyway. We're not afraid." They thought Moshe Rabbeinu was making a mistake. Moshe Rabbeinu is not, is not telling us what Hashem wants. Moshe Rabbeinu is being stubborn. He wants to carry, us to carry out his plans. But, you know, so, so Kaddish Baruch Hu favors Moshe Rabbeinu. He likes him so much that he calls him an Eved Neman. So he allows him to carry out his plan. But the plans are no good for us. We're not interested in jumping off a roof right now. And that was the way that they were thinking. It's easy for us to sit back now, says Rob Miller. We sit in a comfortable place in the air-conditioned house. We have plenty to eat. So we're thinking, the mun? They serve the mun? Why shouldn't people eat mun? What, what, what was the big problem? Why are they complaining to Hashem? They have mun. But how would we react if every day we had the same thing? Every day. We, we had and 
How could you take it? It would be after a while you're going to get you get upset with it. You you start complaining about having the same food. Now, so we really can't blame the people for being upset. That's what Rimmel said. The truth is like Billam said. Yodaya Das Elyon. He knew the uppermost truth, the highest truth. The highest truth is that Am Yisrael is perfect, despite all of the criticisms we see in the Torah. Every Friday night, we're saying, Heim lo yadu durachai. The Jewish people didn't know my ways. They didn't. So you're patting yourself on the shoulder and saying, I'm okay. I know Hashem's ways. But the Dua Midbar, they were all trouble. It's exactly the opposite. You don't understand Pshat in that Pasuk. Why don't you try eating Mun for two weeks? So, in other words, we have to understand why were, why were people complaining so much? Because it was a big challenge. Interesting thing is that of all the times in the Torah where we, we tried Hashem, the only time that everybody was in on it, everyone was a failure, was with, was with the Miraglim. Everybody cried that night. And that's why there's a Bechiel Edoiros. That's why we have to go through the three weeks that are going to be soon upon us, because we all participated. It wasn't like the other times with a small group, and maybe we didn't stop them, maybe we weren't strong enough, maybe we didn't protest enough when they, when they were breaking rules. But here, all the people fell in. It means that we all have that fear, you know, of jumping off the roof. Following Hashem is a little scary. But that's what we have to overcome. And the beautiful thing is that the Jewish people did tshuva there in the Midbar, and that their tshuva was accepted. And of course, we did get to Eretz Israel, even though the actual people who sinned didn't make it. But the Jewish people did, and the tshuva was accepted. And that shows us that even when you do a chet, HaKadosh Baruch will always keep the door open for us to come back. Thank you all for listening to Kashas on the Air. And uh, well, hopefully next week the show will go without any interruption well, in the middle. So Rabbi, uh, have a good week. Rabbi, if you're before, interested in contacting us, Rabbi, you can do that at 718-336-8544, or you can email us at kashrus, K-A-S-H-R-U-S, at AOL.com. Hi. Until next week, this is your host, Rabbi Yosef Wicker, editor of Kashrus Magazine. Bye-bye. Before we're leaving, I just want to say that uh, to our listener that tomorrow is uh, election day, uh, for the primary, please, please uh, go ele- elect for Chaim Deutsch. It's very important to our community. Uh, just go and uh, register as a Democrat and uh, elect uh, Chaim Deutsch tomorrow. All the best. Thank you. Anywhere, anytime, for everyone. This is jrootradio.com.